from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. In the states that we have indicated in red, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Arizona, we more than double the number of votes needed to overturn the election in terms of provable illegal ballots. That was uh, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's personal lawyer, at a press conference earlier today. The election contest appears to be heating up as the Wisconsin Election Commission changed the rules when the Trump campaign filed a petition for a recount yesterday. And last night, the two Republican members of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers in Michigan signed affidavits seeking to rescind their earlier decision to certify their county's results, citing physical threats from Democrats. Former RNC chairman and former chief of staff to President Trump, Reince Priebus, joins me in just a moment. And a new comprehensive Danish study unmasked the claim that wearing masks are effective in preventing someone from contracting the coronavirus. And that's not setting well with those on the left. We'll talk with Dr. Andrew Bostom, associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. And speaking of the coronavirus overreach, holiday restrictions are being issued by certain governors and mayors, and they look like a script out of National Lampoon. But unfortunately, they're for real. Tyler O'Neill, senior editor of PJ Media, is here with more. And as I said yesterday, we've got to keep an eye on what might, and I emphasize might, be ahead with a potential Harris-Biden administration. For any American who cares about religious freedom, they need to be paying close attention to the Human Rights Campaign's Blueprint for Positive Change 2020. This is one of the boldest assaults on religious freedom that I've ever seen. Dr. Al Mohler joins me later with a look at what Joe Biden supporters are demanding of his administration. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you happen to be on Parler, on Parler, at T. Perkins. I encourage you to go to Parler, where free speech is still free. You can actually communicate ideas and thoughts, even if people don't agree with them, unlike some of the other platforms. All right, the Trump campaign has filed for a partial recount in the state of Wisconsin. If we recall, election night, President Trump had a hefty lead in the state, which has now turned into a losing margin of about 20,000 votes. With suspected voter fraud around the country, a close race like this could turn around. Now, that is if everyone plays by the rules. After a filing for a partial recall to the Wisconsin Election Commission. The same commission held a special meeting to change the rules on recount guidelines. How could those rules change the results? Well, joining me to answer that question, someone very familiar with the state of Wisconsin, former chairman of the GOP in Wisconsin, former head of the RNC, and former chief of staff to the President of the United States, my good friend Reince Priebus. Reince, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, I'm happy to be back. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Fill us in on the politics of Wisconsin, where the Election Commission would change the rules after the Trump administration filed for a recount. Well, it's pretty pretty wild. So the Trump campaign filed for a recount in Wisconsin yesterday morning. They transferred $3 million to the Wisconsin Election Commission. And when they filed in their petition, and we can talk about it in a minute if you want to get into what the basis is, but in the petition filing, you actually list out, like an actual complaint in court, 
what your case is all about and what it is that you're seeking and what the basis of the recount that you're seeking is. Well, after that filing was submitted, the Wisconsin Election Commission said we need to have an emergency meeting of the Wisconsin Election Commission to discuss revising the recount manual. And the recount manual is the manual that gets sent to the clerks, and it's the instructions on how to conduct the recount. And so in that meeting, what they wanted to do was change the method by which a campaign could try to review absentee ballot request forms. And so one of the basis for the Trump campaign recount is, is that there weren't the appropriate absentee ballot request forms filled out by people that either voted early or voted by absentee ballot mail. And the Wisconsin Election Commission said, well, we're not going to allow you to review those request forms unless the number of absentee ballots was in question. So if you can't figure out how many absentee ballots were cast, then we'll let you look at the request forms. But we're not going to let you look at the request forms if you can figure out how many absentee ballots were actually cast. So just wild stuff. Turns out that the meeting went on until about 1 in the morning Eastern time, and there was a 3-3 tie on the committee all night long, and actually nothing was ultimately changed because the Republicans on the committee had to block all of these things all night long. Now, that was a mouthful, and apologize for going on too long, but that's really the snapshot of what happened. I mean, that's kind of like an NFL game where you get a contested call. They do a replay, and in the midst of the replay, the other side decides they want to change the rules so that it would alter right. the outcome of the replay. Well, it's, you know, it's exactly right. You know, it's almost worse because what happened was the campaign sent $3 million on the basis of the rules that were in place, when you, so when you obviously, you know, you've done this, Tony, yeah. you review the case, say, is it worth $3 million for us to go to Wisconsin and do a recount, and, 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 and or do we have an, a, a chance? Well, let's look at the rules. Well, here are the rules. This is what we're going to do. Okay, I think there is a chance, so let's send in the $3 million. You send in the $3 million, and then... The Wisconsin Election Commission says, oh, well, let's look at the rules here. And now it changes everything. It's crazy. I, I, I want to get in a moment. I want to get to the basis of the petition. But 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 more broadly speaking, and I know you're you're an attorney. Uh, you're also a straightforward guy. I've known you for for years. And, you know, I, I mean, you're not going to make allegations that don't have some kind of substance to them, nor am I. And so I'm not going to say that I know for a fact that there's voter fraud in a particular area. But I am going to say this. I've noticed a lot of this type of stuff that Wisconsin is doing that no one has ever really forced uh, focus on what's happening in some of these states. And now that a light is shining, it's like opening it's, it's like opening a door at night in an old house and you see the cockroaches scattering when the light comes on. And I think that's what's happening. Well, you know, Wisconsin's had a long history of problems back in oh, after the uh the 2000 election, the 2004 election, the Milwaukee Police Department actually issued 
a 70-some page report, and it wasn't the party, it was the Milwaukee Police Department, and they listed out all kinds of problems that there were in Wisconsin. You know, things like felons voting, deceased people voting, you know, uh, registered voters at vacant lots and where billboards were. And, you know, a lot of the fraud that was talked about in that report, it wasn't so much flat-out cheating by people. It was it was court clerks not doing or election clerks not doing their jobs, people that actually want to do a good job and they're well-intentioned, but because there's thousands of people showing up and IDs are flying all over the place that things aren't followed. So a lot of the problems that take place are problems that are, are not as much intentional as, but as systematic right. failures. Right. And, and that's one thing that in the rules. That's yeah. one of the things I hope comes out of this, one of the two things. I would actually like to see a positive outcome of the challenge, but one of the secondary issues would be to clean up our voting systems in some of these states that have been lax in enforcing the rules so that we do have confidence in our system. Well, you're 100% right, and that's one of the that's one of the things that I think is also motivating folks in the Republican Party to get involved, and it's really to do exactly as you say. Once and for all, we've got the resources to go into a state like Wisconsin and say, okay, how are the clerks administering these absentee ballots? Why do we have um, folks that are confined to nursing homes? Why are those numbers three times higher this time than they were four years ago? Right. And why are clerks filling in people's addresses and fixing absentee ballots you know i mean why why is this stuff right. happening and so now we get to ask those questions and, and we have we have uh, someone in president trump who's willing to challenge it and force the issue where historically quite frankly most republicans have not had the backbone to stand up and ask these questions on a national level to, earlier today the campaign held a press conference rudy giuliani saying that they now have evidence to suggest that there is enough illegal votes out there that have been cast that could change the outcome of this election. Do you agree with him? I don't know, Tony, because I'm so focused in on what's happening in Wisconsin. Like I'm not, I have not dived into this entire issue that they're talking about with these voting machines. I just don't know much about it. I mean, what I know about Wisconsin is that we have, I think, potentially systematic failures in the overseeing of absentee ballot early voting, um, some of the issues in regard to how absentee ballots are handled, and uh -huh. also this issue with the confined, elderly confined voters in Wisconsin. But as far as this other issue, I just honestly don't know much well, about Well, let, let me ask, let's focus on Wisconsin. Is there enough there that could potentially change the outcome of uh, Wisconsin? Yeah, there is, because, you know, Wisconsin is not, here's the basis of their complaint. And mm -hmm. I, again, I'm not representing the campaign. I'm not on the ground, but I do understand the complaint. I was general counsel of the RNC before I was chairman. So this is an area that I spent a lot of time in. And basically, one, to keep it really simple, Wisconsin has never adopted the laws that it needs to to become an early vote state. So we are not an early vote state. We don't have early voting in Wisconsin. But what's happened over the years is that the clerks in the Wisconsin Election Commission have allowed what's called in-person absentee ballot voting. 
And so what they're saying is, okay, you can vote early here at the clerk's office, but it's not early vote, it's absentee ballot voting. And in absentee ballot voting under the law, you actually have to request an absentee ballot before you get one. And so what you have in, in the state of Wisconsin are thousands and thousands of people that are potentially going into these precincts, voting early or absentee ballot without actually filling out an absentee ballot request form. And so you have a rogue operation being conducted by clerks across the state of Wisconsin outside of the confines of the law and running their own operation. Well, it's not legal. It's not what the law allows. That's one thing. The second thing is the Wisconsin Election Commission has said to the clerks that they could fix or repair certain absentee ballots that were missing addresses. And so you have clerks repairing and fixing ballots to make them uh, legal for people that were using the absentee ballot system, which, by the way, isn't, uh, isn't, uh, isn't appropriate under the law. The last thing is this, this, this confined voter rule. What the state of Wisconsin has said is that you actually have to be a confined voter and you need to show a photo identification. Well, what's happened now is that the folks in Wisconsin have tripled the amount of confined voters that are voting. And what they've said is the clerks have said you don't need a photo ID if you proclaim yourself to be confined. Yeah, that makes it very suspicious and open to manipulation and abuse. Uh, Reince Priebus, as always, uh, great to talk with you. We're out of time. Uh, we'll be checking in with you more in the days ahead. Thanks so much for being with us. Folks, stick around. We're going to unmask mask next. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, a Danish mask study conducted uh, early in the, sp- in the spring and uh, the results just released reports that general mask wearing doesn't offer much protection to those wearing the mask. Now, with 6,000 participants, these results have some significant weight to them, but mask proponents are already dismissing the study. Twitter is also censoring. This is this is incredible. Twitter is also censoring the information and the conservative voices who share it, like Tom Fenton, friend of mine, president of Judicial Watch. Uh, his Twitter account was frozen yesterday by the social media giant after he linked to the study. Joining me now with uh, details of this study, Dr. Andrew Boston, associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. Dr. Boston, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Tony. So let me just jump right into this. What did this study reveal about the use of masks? Well, it was uh, it was a it was a large randomized controlled trial. I mean, ultimately about forty nine hundred people completed the trial, and uh, it, all the all the participants were uninfected. So it wasn't a it wasn't a study of you know if you mask infected persons, you make them less likely to spread uh, coronavirus. Did yeah, the reason they the, the reason they didn't do that the reason they didn't do that they, there were some ethical issues there. You put somebody you know yes, has got the virus, yes, they, you send them out with yes, a mask. They wrote, so you, they wrote a letter about this. They were they right. were criti- you know before before the results were published, the design paper was published, and, and an exchange of letters uh, took place, um, and in, in in something called the Danish Medical Journal, and and the investigators explained. They said, look, at the time the study was conducted, um, we felt there were some ethical concerns. With you would you would do the randomization, Tony, on the basis of households. So you have you have different households, each with an infected person, for example, with coronavirus. And in one household, um, the the infected person would wear a mask and 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 ostensibly reduce the spread to people in his household or her household. And and in a controlled uh, you know randomized uh, other household, uh, etc. You you would you would the infected person would not be wearing a mask. And they felt that that was a difficult study to conduct, and it also raised some ethical concerns at a time when the whole trajectory of the virus was not well known. So they opted to do a very important design on its own of taking 
uh, people who were carefully screened to make sure they were not infectious, antibodies were tested, uh, short-term tests of antigen were done, and they were considered to be uninfected, and then they were randomized en masse um, to uh, wearing a, a paper surgical mask or not wearing a paper surgical mask and being followed serially for at least a month after that period of time for infection. And, and what they found was that the infection rate was essentially identical in, in both groups. Um, and and it was not supportive of, of, of mask mandates for the general population. And I must say, Tony, it's, it's, it is, it's real science in the sense that there's rarely dramatic breakthroughs. This study sits on top of a body of evidence from influenza that's 20 years old that is literally identical. There are at least a dozen studies, randomized controlled trials like this, in influenza which have shown exactly the same thing, that there's no benefit of masking. And some of the influenza studies actually did what this study didn't feel comfortable doing. There have been seven household studies of influenza, where you mask the infected person alone, both parties, the infected and uninfected, or just the uninfected. And in those different designs, none of them have been shown to be positive. So, so we have to put this evidence, this new evidence for coronavirus, um, on top of the evidence that's all been null, that's all been negative with, with influenza. So in that sense, it's very consistent and, and frankly, rather expected. So, Dr. Bostom, have masks become the adult blanket? I mean, the, the blankie. Uh, you, you hold on to it, it makes you feel good. And well, it, uh, talisman, it, maybe? Is, would that be a better way to describe it? I, I, you know, certainly in the non-healthcare setting, all I'm saying, Tony, is in the non-healthcare setting, when we apply our gold standard evidence, and it's got flaws, every study has flaws. You don't know how compliant the people are, but it's a real-life study. You know, all the evidence has, has been null when, when the idea of masking has been subjected to controlled trials. And you know, maybe there'll be a better mask product or something that'll come up with, but, but it'll be the same question, ultimately. It's a Yogi Berra question. You know, he, he, he said, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is. And that's why we have to do clinical trials. So, Dr. Bostom, what then is behind the, these government officials mandating the wear of mask, wearing of mask? If it's not science, what is it? Well, there have, there, there have been some experimental studies just, just to look at how much virus is emitted with or without a mask. And some have suggested that maybe there's a, there's a lower bolus of virus that, that's out there. But again, that, that's a theoretical consideration that has to be tested in real life populations. And that's exactly what was done before with influenza and what these what these, uh, you know, these excellent Danish investigators just completed uh, with coronavirus. So you, yeah. can, you can hold up theoretical ideas, but then you have to test them in real life. Yeah, but, but I mean, you could say, and I don't want to make, I should make total light of it, because there's probably value in the mask, and if people want to wear them, let them wear them. Let them wear masks. But to mandate it is another issue, because usually you, when you mandate something, it's because you know with certainty that this is a good thing or this is a bad thing. Absolutely. And that's, that, that is, you, then, so I share your objection to these mandates. It, again, it, and, and, and again, we're talking about non-healthcare settings. In healthcare settings, 
first of all, it's such a tradition now, particularly on respiratory care units, that you'd right. ne- it, it would be impossible to, to, to change the practice anyway. Um, sure. There are some suggestions that it may not be as great as people think it is, but leave it alone. We're yeah. talking about the non-healthcare setting and mandates in people's homes, et cetera, right. which is just beyond the pale. Exactly. Uh, 100% agree. Dr. Uh, Andrew Boston, thanks so much for uh, taking time to join us this afternoon. Thank you, Tony. Take care. All right. Coming up, we'll talk about Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas rules, speaking of masks, being handed down by totalitarian governors. We'll be joined by uh, Tyler O'Neill, senior editor of PJ Media, next here on Washington Watch. Go ahead and take off your mask and stick around. We'll be right back. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. In, uh, in a move, in moves that would make Ebenezer Scrooge jealous, uh, governors across the country are uh, issuing restrictions on gatherings for Thanksgiving and Christmas. In fact, in some jurisdictions, uh, nobody can gather uh, outside the nucleus of one single family, uh, the nuclear family. There, there can be um, no friends over, 
Um, some places only maybe two family units. So, I mean, I guess you draw lots to see who gets left out. Um, th- th- this is really far-reaching in what they are trying to, uh, to do. Joining me now to talk more about this, Tyler O'Neill, senior editor of PJ Media, the author of Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, welcome back to the program. Hey, glad to be here, Tony. So uh, the Grinch is uh, is already working on the holiday season. What are some of the what are some of these orders being issued by various governors and mayors? Yeah, so you get across the country. Uh, I, I believe you know New York, uh, Chicago, California, like a whole bunch of governors, and, and even Pennsylvania. The the most the most uh, just the most infuriating. One comes from Pennsylvania, where the governor issued an order that you should wear masks, mandating masks while in your own home. I mean, it's it's absurd. But, you know, over, over and over, what we've been seeing now as the holidays approach, you know, as the Christmas season is almost here and, uh, you know, Thanksgiving next week, that uh, these governors are issuing restrictions on uh big family gatherings. And, you know, Governor Gavin Newsom is mandating that, you know, you can't have many people uh, for Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving dinner. But he just had this big uh, dinner party at, you know, a Michelin star rest at three Michelin star restaurant, the French Laundry, with lobbyists and members of the California Medical association board and it's it's you know the hypocrisy is just i i have no words what what is it that's empowering these government officials to restrict the, i mean they're pushing restrictions we're not talking i know there are businesses that are being shut down we've got some states that um, are are closing down businesses again, so we see these uh, you know these lockdowns coming in. But I mean, we're talking about in people's homes. We're talking about families. They're restricting what's taking place in people's homes. What is empowering them to do that? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, a lot of in a lot of these cases, these are guidelines, and they're not actual orders that come, carry the face of carry the force of law. But in some cases, they are trying to issue workers with the force of law, mandating what you can and cannot do in the confines of your own home. And, you know, there, there is no – I mean, this vi- arguably violates – I believe it's the, the Fifth Amendment. Uh, or, no, no, it's, it's not. But, but one, the amendment that's specifically about not quartering troops in your home, you know, that your home is – is your own property, and they're they're railroading it. Uh, this is just—it's just such government overreach, and I just—I I think people, everybody needs to use good common sense. If you're in a high-risk category, you should probably stay home and not invite a bunch of people over to your home. But if you have a family, you're healthy, you're well. Um, you, you know, you want to take precautions. People want to wear masks, even though we just heard they're ineffective by this Danish study. Um, you know, do it. But I just I don't think it's government's business to tell you how you can set your Thanksgiving table or if you can set it. 
for that matter. Well, especially when you have these governors like Newsom who, you know, take who don't even follow their own guidelines. Yeah, you know, well, we're, the, we're the, meeting. The, the rules are for the peons, not not for them. Well, I think Tucker Carlson said it really well. He said, what's the lesson here? You know the lesson. If you want to live like a human being, you got to get elected to something, and then you can break your own rules. Otherwise, yeah. don't even think about it. Well, I tell you this. Uh, as for me and my house, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner in the same house around the same table without a mask in sight. That's, uh, that's my plan for Thanksgiving. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Tony. All right, Tyler O'Neill, PJ Media. Um, you know, th- there's another pandemic. I don't have time to talk about this t- today, but I'm going to spend some time talking about it. When you, you look at, there is a, a pandemic when it comes to sexually transmitted diseases in this country. 20 million new STD cases each year, which costs the, uh, the public about $16 billion annually. W- w- what's the outcry there? Um, and, and people die from that, too. You know, when you bring that issue up, people say, well, stay out of my bedroom. All right, will you stay out of my dining room? All right? All right, when we come back, Dr. Al Mohler is here with what might be on the to-do list of Joe Biden. And it's not good for those who care about religious freedom. That's coming up next on this edition of Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. 
To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned yesterday, while, you know, we're looking at this contested election and, you know, we had Reince Priebus on earlier talking about uh, what's happening in Wisconsin. He said he thinks there's enough there to overturn the results there. Others are claiming it could happen elsewhere. But that aside, I think we still have to keep uh, an eye looking straight forward as to what might be ahead with a potential Harris-Biden administration. And for any American who cares about religious freedom, they need to be paying close attention to the Human Rights Campaign's Blueprint for Positive Change 2020. In my view, this is one of the boldest assaults on religious freedom that I've seen. Join me now to talk more about this, Dr. Al Mohler. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Mohler, welcome to the program. Tony, as always, it's good to be with you. These are uh, these are critical days. They are. And by the way, congratulations. Uh, today you were elected president of the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, congratulations, my friend. Thank you. I, uh, I, I hope to serve well. There are few things more important uh, in our view than keeping evangelical theology evangelical. Well, quite frankly, if you get the theology right, most of the other things fall in place. If we, if, if we, uh, if we are anchored to the truth, we're going to end up in the right place. But let's talk about uh, the human rights campaign. In fact, I've got a clip I want to play uh, to set the stage for this, because this is not you know, some group out there that is advocating for some radical policy that does not have the ear of Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been in front of this group, the Human Rights Campaign, on many on uh, many occasions. And as you'll hear, he sees them as an ally and us as the enemy. Bobby, play that clip. Despite losing in the courts and in the court of public opinion, these forces of intolerance remain determined to undermine and roll back the progress you all have made. And this time, they, not you, have an ally in the White House. This time, they have an ally. They're a small percentage of the American people, virulent people, some of them the dregs of society. And instead of using the full might of the executive branch to secure justice, dignity, safety for all, 
the president uses the White House as a literal, literal bully pulpit, callously, callously exerting his power over those who have little or none. Again, that was uh, Joe Biden speaking at the gala of the human rights uh, campaign. Um, Dr. Mueller, sounds like they're pretty close. Yeah, you have an administration uh, that that if there is a Biden administration, it will be by Joe Biden's own pledge, the most uh, LGBTQ positive administration in American history. And, uh, you know, at the very least, we know what their game plan is. But I'm astounded, Tony, at how clear and candid they are. Uh, I uh, I think it's like uh, discovering the uh, German battle plans for the invasion of France. Uh, we've been told exactly what they intend in terms of stripping Christian schools of uh, of accreditation. It's a, it's a fundamental assault upon religious liberty. And the Human Rights Campaign is the organization behind this plan. And, and the media is talking all about this, right? Uh, not a peep. Ah, and it's, in fact, I, I had no idea of this until I went deeply into the document myself and found that paragraph. And it was it was like reading the uh, invasion plan before the invasion. Well, let's talk about it. And it does it does a multitude of things because this is their kind of wish list. And it is it basically counters everything that the Trump administration has done to protect religious freedom, both here and abroad. But the, the one of the things that, in just talking about you being elected to the Evangelical Theological Society, the importance of religious education and being true to Scripture, this is a direct assault on the ability of institutions of higher learning to do so from a religious perspective. And explain why. Yeah, you know, Tony, it's insidious because uh, it, it kind of reflects the fact that there is a recognition that at least Christian colleges, it, it's, it's religion, as you know, in general, that will be covered here. But the vast majority uh, are Christian colleges, seminaries, Christian schools, including K through 12. Um, there's at least the recognition here that that uh, our schools would have a real constitutional case to make on religious liberty grounds if they tried to just shut us down from operating. So what's insidious here is this is this is a go round. Uh, this is what I haven't seen in black and white print ever before, and it is that they want to force, coerce the, the Biden administration to use the power of executive orders through the Department of Education to deny any school that stands against the LGBTQ revolution. And by the way, and, and very insidiously, the language they use to strip our schools of accreditation. And again, there are Christians who would say, well, no big deal. But they don't understand that accreditation has everything to do with whether your school can accept students from the GI Bill, whether or not your school can participate in federal uh, uh, student aid programs. My school does not, by the way, but uh, but hundreds of Christian schools do. And uh, and whether or not your uh, degrees and credits will be recognized to transfer to another institution or your graduates able to apply to a graduate program right. uh, elsewhere. Uh, it's a direct assault. I mean, this is this is further trying to isolate and marginalize Christian religious institutions, because as you said, this will um, put them outside the realm of being able to communicate and work with, for instance, I had my undergraduate degree from Liberty University. Uh, under this, yep. if they're successful, Liberty would lose its accreditation. And when I did my master's work at uh, Louisiana State University, they would not recognize my undergraduate work. 
No, absolutely. And uh, and they know exactly how accreditation works. And that's what's so sly. And then they, they say two grounds. Very interesting, Tony, because this tells us what worldview conflict we're facing. The first was, you know, to uh, deny uh, the ability to deny accreditation to any religious school that uh, discriminates. Now, again, that, that means for Christian colleges, housing, admissions, uh, hiring of faculty and student life. In other words, you'd have to recognize same-sex marriage. You'd have to recognize uh, homosexuality as a legitimate uh, lifestyle for students. You'd have to, you'd have to hire uh, without regard to a Christian understanding of sexuality. And of course, the T in transgender means also on gender. But then they add any school that uh, does not accept uh, modern science, and what, and, and that's an insidious term these days, anyway. But what right. they mean by that is especially when it comes to, you know, sexual identity and gender identity. That means that uh, if, if we don't accept the, uh, the, the frankly, the, the rebellion against uh, the created order that's demanded of the LGBTQ activists, then we'll be stripped of accreditation. It's, it, you know, the further you look at this document, the more you realize it really is diabolical. When I saw that, Dr. Mullen, I said, you know, when we don't accept the science, and I'm thinking, who who is it that's not accepting the science, the biological reality that there are two sexes, male and female? They're the ones denying it. But what they've done is they've bullied and strong armed uh, all of these medical societies and uh, you know the, all of these you know the, the psychological associations to embrace what they're pushing, so that they've normalized what has long been seen as abnormal. Yeah, and so you've got doctors on the one hand over here acting like they completely buy into this nonsense of of, of uh, the modern transgender revolutionaries. But, you know, Tony, they haven't found a way around the fact you need sperm and an egg to get a baby. Uh, in other words, uh, they, they have to say on the one hand this and contradict it on the other hand. You cannot join this uh, revolution against the creation order and still produce babies, for example. Right. So, Dr. Mueller, you said this is like finding the Germans' war plans, um, yeah. and I agree with you. I think, look, and this is the problem. Number one, um, people aren't paying attention. I think there's a lot of people focused on the election contest, and so they're not looking to see what Biden is proposing, who he's putting into his cabinet. But secondly, there's this idea, oh, they're not going to do that. Uh, they won't do it. I- I'm here to tell you they will. I think we need to start believing what we see. And so with that in mind, what is the posture that the church should be in when we look at what is ahead under what might be a Harris-Biden administration. You know, Tony, by the way, uh, this just points to uh, the fact that President Trump did exactly do what he said he would do in executive orders. And frankly, the left was shocked by it, Mm -hmm. which is the reason why I think you have these leftist organizations putting out these lists right now, because they're basically saying to, uh, to Joe Biden, you know, we're expecting the very same thing from you. And uh, so it's a tribute to the fact that President Trump followed through on his promises that there are executive orders in place that uh, that, that the left opposes. But uh, you asked the right question. What do we do now? Well, number one, knowledge is power. I mean, we got to know what, what's going on. I mean, if, if, if the enemy does have a war plan against you, you have no excuse if it's handed to you and not dealing with it. Uh, we need to inform Christians about this, which is why I appreciate what you're doing right now. And you do this every day. I, I think we've got to understand that Christians are going to have to pay a price uh, in order to defend religious liberty. And, and I think American Christians have always thought this is something coming. 
but you know it's here yeah uh, it, it, it's here in text it's, it's just been given to us yeah i think that's extremely important that this is not this is not theoretical and i'm i'm here to tell you that they have closely watched what the trump administration has done and they're trying to counter every step that they took for instance uh they're looking at the state department and the uh the commission that Secretary Pompeo put together on unalienable rights, which really kind of cleared the deck and went back to the core of what what is a fundamental human right? Not these made make up made up make believe rights that uh, you know people were able to strong arm their way through, but what is at its core, which is revolutionary, quite frankly, in going back to that foundation. They want to very quickly uh, cover all of this up. You know, uh, you, you got your finger right on something absolutely crucial. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and that Commission on Unalienable Rights did an incredibly brave thing. He actually, on behalf of the State Department, said, let's identify what are really the human rights that God's given, that our Constitution recognizes, that we want to fight for for every pe- person on the planet and every country on Earth. And uh, that clearly, uh, you know, revealed the fact that there are these newly invented rights that are artificial. They're merely declared by courts. They have no basis in the creation order. They have no basis in constitutional history. And uh, look, the left is in sheer panic over this uh, because they've had all these artificial rights they've been putting forth for years. And, uh, you know, I again, I appreciate Secretary of State Pompeo having the courage to say those, those aren't real. And, and, and by the way, this group claims an international consensus. Well, you and I both know yeah. right now. That if there's an international consensus on uh, issues of human sexuality and marriage, it's not what the human rights campaign represents. No, not at all, except with maybe a few countries in uh, Western Europe, uh, not not many. Um, the the opposite is true. In fact, uh, as I as I've met with um, leaders from different countries, it was like a sigh of relief from what the Trump administration was focusing on in their foreign policy. For instance, religious freedom, as opposed to abortion. And, uh, you know, this new view of human sexuality that they were forcing on many of these countries that were deeply opposed to this based on religious grounds. I mean, I I think we've reached a point in our society, Dr. Moeller, and and I want to ask you for your opinion on this. But my my take is that we've become it's kind of like the parable of the wheat and the tares. There's not much in between. Um, we've got the wheat and we've got the tares. And when we see in this, if this transition takes place, such a stark contrast and, and what all the good that was done, there's going to be this quick move to undo it and move the other direction. And if we have the opportunity, I think the, the direction would be the opposite in four years. It's just like this ping pong match back and forth. Yeah, you know, the left plays a very long game. And uh, the left has been winning, I would argue, for the better part of the uh, of you know the last 50 years on the cultural and moral issues. You just look where there's marijuana or same-sex marriage or whatever, and so they're working hard to try to uh, to ensure by their goals that the four-year Trump administration was a temporary interruption mm-hmm. and otherwise uh, unimpeded liberal progress. Yeah, you know the yeah. issues you were just talking about and your involvement in religious liberty around the world. I mean, you had President Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton who said they, they, and they did. They made LGBTQ issues a matter of American foreign policy. And uh, the Biden administration is now, now going to, if they uh, if they have the opportunity, they're going to come in and do that at warp speed. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and I think most American conservative Christians just don't have any idea uh, how 
all of the uh, all the things that they've celebrated for the last four years, uh, they're all endangered. And many of them can be reversed in, in fairly short order, which, by the way, points to the importance, at least, of holding the Senate. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I see. I think if the if President Trump had another four years that he would be able to make deeper systemic changes that could prevent this from just being an interruption to the left's long march through our institutions. Right. You know, uh, one of the one of the things the Trump administration did well on the executive orders was uh, on several of the ones that are of interest to us, even, even right on these issues. Uh, they've made it so that at least it will take some doing to yeah. uh, to undo them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's why I'm I'm just hoping. So e- even, you know, even if this is just a practical matter, even if uh, if, if we do have to face a Biden administration, if we have a Republican majority in the Senate, that can at least stop some uh, confirmations to uh, to Senate confirmed positions like in the Department of Education that right. could at least slow this down. And, but, and you know, sometimes for conservatives, uh, if we can't stop it for now, we can at least slow it down. Yeah, and that is the, that is their game plan to force them to uh, to nominate moderates and not left wing radicals to those posts. Dr. Al Mohler, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us. As always, great to have a conversation with you. And again, congratulations on your election today. Thank you, Tony. It's always good to be with you. We'll be in the fight together. Absolutely, arm in arm, folks. Thank you for joining us as well, and I hope you will be in the fight for these fundamental freedoms that define America and have secured this country for 244 years. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.